So guys, let's talk about homes, game. Yeah, game. Let's do uh, it. Alright. Let's think about housing. Alright. So talking about homes. So I want to talk about the four houses of Hogwarts and where each and every one of us fit in. Mm. Chantal, I think you know your house already. <laughs> yeah, I definitely know my house already. <laughs> I am from <laughs> I am from the house of Harry Potter himself. I'm Ooh. from Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, actually, it's very self-explanatory. You 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 radiate what the entire Gryffindor house represents. <laughs> Agree, agree, agree. <laughs> hey, what's your house? Piki, what's your house? Actually, surprisingly, since I've just taken the test last year because I just started reading the books last year, I got Ravenclaw. <laughs> oh, me too. I got Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. So it, it it clearly reflects our personalities. He says, uh, nerdy types. <laughs> so I definitely say Ravenclaw within you too. I wouldn't have guessed it either way. But Travis, CK only started reading the book last year. Last yeah. year? I'm sorry, I had no childhood. <laughs> oh my god. You know, you basically missed what? Because I, I, I remember I started reading Harry Potter when I was in my first year in high school. That's a long time ago. <laughs> that's, more than, that's more than 10 years right there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it took me like 10 years before I started jumping on the bandwagon. And luckily, my friends are supporting me <laughs> in my journey. Well, well, as they say, there's no time like the present, right? Might as well do it now than 10 years from now. Right. That's, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a Gryffindor would say. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Well, for for uh, a Ravenclaw, we, how we would describe it is that knowledge is never, you know, old. It's always developing. So yeah, you're developing your knowledge right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, have you met anyone who? You can categorize under the Hufflepuff house. I would think so, because Hufflepuffs are usually a bit, a bit more artistic, and they're a lot kinder and more compassionate. So I would suppose that I have met people who radiate that Hufflepuff energy. I just don't know if they're gonna admit it at the <laughs> front, I... forefront. Well, of course, no offense, uh, but uh, I think the Hufflepuff is the less cool. Or the least cool house in the in the in, in the Hogwarts. Uh, I just think that they're just too. They're just very nice people. They're very loyal and very kind people. They're really like service oriented. Yeah. I like how you connected. Like they're very kind and loyal. They're just not cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're like the chill kid. Are you sure you're not a Slytherin pretending to oh. be a Ravenclaw? <laughs> no. Of course I'm not. <laughs> well, sometimes I think uh, on my bad days I think I, I am like Malfoy, but uh, maybe I'm I, I, maybe I am indeed a Ravenclaw, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sticking to that answer, huh? You're sticking to that answer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, um, since you just jumped in the bandwagon after more than 10 years, how how is it? I mean, how many books have you read? Uh, you know, for someone like you that's already in, in working age, how does it feel to read something that was 
written when you were supposed to be like in your elementary or high school years? Mm, actually, it's kind of refreshing. Um, I I actually just uh, just started uh, reading last year uh, due to my friend's peer pressure. Of course, they they were telling me, ah, you should start reading it. Uh, uh, you should start catching up because essentially, I cannot I cannot relate to anything that they've they've been saying, especially during the times where they would refer Harry Potter quotes or stuff. That I just won't. I just can't keep along. I mean, uh, you know. But uh, it's it's good that uh, I, I I am now getting to understand um, what's the essence of Harry Potter and how it was. So cool back then. So I feel like I'm a cultured kid now. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And at least you could, yeah, understand the references. I think the only reference I understand would be like, and I might get this wrong. I'm very sorry. I might get this wrong. But you know how Hermione says like, it's Leviosa, not mm. Leviosa. Because <laughs> I think I used it one time in high school and I got it wrong. And one of my fatherhead friends really was like, you got it all wrong. You had it all wrong. And I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so much about the, but about the talk about houses, you know. I would like to raise uh, the issue of the widespread lack of decent homes, especially for city dwellers. While um, a lot of us that are fortunate enough to live in decent homes dream about, you know, these dream houses that look like, those big mansions we uh, that we can see or we can watch on MTV cribs, I won't discredit the longing many others have of simply better homes. We all have uh, different descriptions of what a livable abode is, and while we dream about dream houses, well, others only dream about decent homes. Yeah, and you know, there that is where we begin understanding how difficult it must be for families living in informal settlements. Um, those that just try to build a home as, as, as much as they can in some place that they don't really own. But um, a lot of them are provincial dwellers that risk living in the city to gain better lives, only to be, well, be beaten by the system. And this really got me thinking. So what, re- what really goes into this long-standing issue? And can it still be possible? to build decent hope for every person in the city. Much like CK, like it was possible for him to catch up after 10 years on Harry Potter. Do you think it's still possible to build decent homes for each and every person in this city? This is Sustain a Rumble. The podcast that explores critical issues on sustainable development. Here are your hosts, Chantel, CK, and Jonas. A proper abode is where you can retire to after a hard day's work, and where you can stay with your family and loved ones is a shelter worth having. Aside from that, it is a place where you don't have to keep waking up in the middle of the night or worrying at your workplace about the leakage from your roof or the risk of your house being blown away when a strong typhoon comes, putting the lives of your loved ones at home in hardship or worse into a matter of life and death. Administration to administration, the issue of urban housing has been around for decades. As progress and commercialization grew, 
with Metro Manila and other metro cities such as Cebu becoming centers of trade, migration into these areas inevitably skyrocketed. And with so many people coming into the cities, one can't help but ask, where are they staying? According to the 2017 World Bank report on urbanization in the Philippines, close to 11% of Metro Manila's population live in informal settlements. And although these settlers are colloquially called squatters, some of these people aren't necessarily income poor. Sometimes, there just isn't enough available and affordable space in the city. Besides, the mere use of the term itself is already very discriminatory. It helps absolutely no one. Precisely. Pushing indignity to the citizens that live in those areas is detrimental towards our ability to create and grow solutions to the issue. As you said, informal settlers aren't necessarily poor. Several of them are simply vulnerable to the impact of sudden drastic changes to their lives, such as lockdowns, sicknesses, and rotatory unemployment. Others are victims of minimum or below minimum wage jobs with no contracts nor employee benefits to provide sufficient security. That and their lives are further aggravated by the poor living conditions that they are in, with insufficient provision of clean water, healthcare, food, and other basic necessities, as well as uh, cramped up makeshift housing made of indigenous materials that can easily be eaten up by fire in a matter of seconds. And, and this isn't a new issue, Jonas and CK. Even as kids, I'm sure we've all been seeing informal settlements in different areas across the metro. And it's really because while the development of many of the aspects Jonas touched on, healthcare, food security, and trade remained relatively stagnant in most provinces, urban cities continued to grow and prosper. Hence, where else would we expect people to migrate to? But then again, just how ready were the cities for these migrations. When we talk about sustainable housing, it's a very ano, no, complex and deep ano, topic. But uh, this one, when you talk about sustainable houses, we know that households and areas where people live would usually contribute to uh, carbon emission and greenhouse effects resulting to climate change, which threatens the survival of people and the world we live in. That is Aryan Aligayu. She is the head of Strategic Support Department at Habitat for Humanity Philippines. So sustainable housing would seek to reduce the environmental impact the house is being built. Also considering the life cycle of the structure, so we want to make it um, energy efficient. When we build those houses, we, we want to make it uh, efficient and also use um, natural resources or materials in building those houses so that it will not have so much impact in our environment, but at the same time, uh, having a positive, positive physical and psychological impact on its inhabitant. Housing has been an issue no, from centuries ago. Shelter or a home is, what, is a, a fundamental need of people and it's a basic right. So I, the idea of um, shelter or dwelling has went beyond just providing roof over your head. So it's one of those social conditions that determine now the quality of life and welfare of people. So during the, like 
going back history, no, during the Industrial Revolution era, I think that's when housing issue became really dominant, no. People were migrating to the cities to look for um, greener pastures and work. So parang ganun din yung setup natin sa mga cities natin here in the Philippines, especially in Manila because it's the center of the economic activities, no. So before, maybe people were just uh, heavily dependent on agriculture, so nasa probinsya in the rural areas. But then, when people are looking for um, greener pastures, ang tendencies to go to the city, to the urban areas where there are more work and opportunity for people. So when they migrate to the cities or to the urban areas, that's when the problem of housing would ano, no, prop up because the cities or the towns are not ready for the rush of people coming to that area. So there is a need to provide more um, infrastructures, houses, and other social services to those people. So then, up to now, no current uh, situation, we are presented with these challenges in creating adequate infrastructures and services to go along with the opportunities for economic growth and development. There are areas around, I guess in the US, they call them the suburbs, right? Uh, here we call them peri-urbans, uh, Rizal, and things like that. But that is also fast-rising. And that is Jason Catre. He is the country lead for the Religious Center for Innovation and Shelter in the Philippines. So then, people going to those areas would be looking for livelihood opportunities, jobs in the construction sector, uh, aspiring to have a white-collar job, but would settle for blue-collar jobs. But because in urban areas, land prices are much more expensive, therefore ownership is much more expensive for homes, then they shift towards rental. So it's when the trend towards urbanization happened that this problem of uh, people having inadequate shelters. And then people, the classification Aryan of when we started calling them informal settlement, right? ISF. Mm-hmm. Back then, the term used... Uh, In the 70s, right? I mean, the terms used were squatters, but we don't yeah. use the word squatters anymore because it's really a derogatory term. Worse since the housing situation because uh, rural areas around cities, land prices shoot up, right? Because mm-hmm. that is where they put factories. That is where they put subdivisions. And subdivisions are more middle-income subdivisions rather than low-income subdivisions, right? Yes. So then, for because of land conversions, they give up their land. They're tempted to sell their land if ever they, they own the land or if they're leases, then they don't have any place to go. So they have two choices, either go up the mountain, not to rebel, but, you know, go, go for a cheaper place mm-hmm. to live or fight it out in the areas, in the urban areas. That's why, and then when they go to the urban areas, Where do they go? When it comes to the issue of urban housing, it takes a more calculated and consistent effort from the local governments concerned to truly build a city where everyone could stay and dwell in accordance to the proper living standards. Note, these living standards do not necessarily have to be high, but merely proper. However, I guess we simply are a Philippine society that has been riddled with vast vagueness and lack of proactive action that exceeds those six-year tenures in the government. The problem is so clear, but the action is always so unclear. A newly created agency 
the Department of Human Settlements and Urban Development, which merged six different government agencies, will now serve as the national government's principal agency for housing and urban development. According to their report, the country's housing backlog stood at 6.75 million units. If this is not tended to today, it is forecasted to balloon to 22 million units by 2040. That's crazy. Do you guys know how much it would cost us to invest on concrete changes for housing? DHSUD's 2021 budget sponsor, Northern Summer Representative Paul Daza, estimated it at 30 billion pesos each year for the next 20 years. That means we need 30 billion pesos to meet the 6.5 million housing backlog for both formal and informal sectors. And that's still dependent on whether or not we're spending on and building the right thing. The current housing situation, like what you said, CK is really not as is really not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arian, please correct me here, right? So, the housing gap is widening. Uh, when I say the housing gap is widening, meaning the ability of the government, because like what Arian said, housing is a right. It's a basic right. Everyone should have access to decent house. In the Philippines, what, we are 110 million right now, right? And then, of those 110 million Filipinos, uh, we would say conservatively, 20% would be at the lower end of the economic sphere. Those we consider as low-income and poor. And majority of them don't have access to decent housing, whether they be in the rural area or more so in the urban areas. And the housing gap in 2018 for the full housing, what we call the socialized housing, is already approaching 6 million, right, Ariane? That's a very big 6.7 million Filipino f- families don't have decent houses. And a bulk of half of them at the very least are in the urban areas. Now CK, uh, what, what, what's saddening is that the ability of the government and even the private sector to build houses is decreasing. While the need is increasing, like you mentioned a while ago, right? Population growth. I mean, so population is still rising, but then the production of houses is decreasing for various reasons. COVID really made the situation worse because the government, they already admitted that they can only do 20% of the needs at best, 20%. So they're relying on the private sector to come in and help build more houses. Unfortunately for those in the poor sector or the low-income sector of the society, the private sector, they prefer to build houses in the middle and high-income, high-rise condos or 1 million, 2 million, 3 million condos to the point that ironically there is a surplus there. There's a surplus now, right? I mean, prices of rentals and condo prices are in a doldrum right now or some are even decreasing. But then again, people are looking for those in the socialized housing. Socialized meaning half a million pesos to uh, 700,000. But where in Metro Manila can you find them, right? You cannot find them. You want to go to Cavite, Laguna, and much, much further. 
in Manila or just like in any other countries or cities in the world, no, the main um, challenge or biggest problem in terms of affordable housing is really uh, in terms of uh, having a decent house is the affordability. Mm-hmm. When we look at the houses that's being constructed in Metro Manila by developers, for instance, it basically caters to those who can afford, like maybe the higher middle income to um, very rich people, but not really for the low income and poor, poor people or uh, low income households. Just like the people coming from the provinces, usually when they come to Manila, the job that they you know get into are not really high paying job that they could afford to to buy this you know beautiful houses so what would happen is that because they can't afford those houses uh, being sold in the uh, market in the formal market their tendency is to look for houses that, that, that they could afford and they would usually fall into the area of uh, informal settlements because it's more affordable for them it's near where they would where uh, it's near uh, where they would be you know going for employment so that's one like uh, maybe uh, one issue that would um, aggravate the situation no, in the city but other than the issue of affordability there is also a big challenge in terms of the slums or the informal settlements. Because in this area, um, a lot of social and environmental problems would surface. Example would be environmental degradation because there's not uh, proper sanitation in that area where they're living, exposure to environmental hazards because usually those areas are prone to landslides and flooding. There is also an issue of health because of the overcrowding. And during this pandemic, we were, you know, before this, we were discussing about uh, pandemic, no? So during this pandemic, the issue of housing, again, no, was brought up because we we said that, you know, the first defense against the COVID-19 is to have uh, a safe, you know, a place where you could, um, where you could stay during the lockdown uh, season. But then if you don't have your own house or even if you don't have a, a decent or adequate house that you could stay in, there's another problem. Staying up to date with game-changing solutions that address economic, social, and environmental issues that face us is something that is difficult to achieve. In most cases, you will find global news when you Google sustainable development solutions. If you're looking at a head start in knowing how Filipinos are addressing these challenges, it is difficult to get reliable and fully detailed scoops on the internet. The incredibly special solutions in local communities that are brought by some of the most creative and inventive Filipino minds oftentimes go unnoticed by local and mainstream media. Luckily, we have OffCrowd.com that shines a spotlight on how local entrepreneurs, innovators, leaders, and influencers collectively improve the lives of many. Do check out OffCrowd.com to discover really interesting stories relating to the environment, agriculture, education, energy, and innovation. That is Oscar, Foxtrot, Foxtrot, Charlie, Romeo, Oscar, Whiskey Delta, 
www.thepodcastmarketingmyspace.com. When you get there, make sure to subscribe to their newsletter. It is now an undeniable truth that more and more Filipinos are falling victims to the housing crisis in the Philippines' urban cities, and numbers are continuously rising. The impact is real. The informal settler families, or IFSFs, occupy spaces without permission from landowners. Humans make do with what they have, and since they do not have the proper resources to secure a lot and build the home they need, what, they, what can we expect to do? According to the World Bank's estimates in 2017, the Philippines' urban population that lived in informal settlers or in informal settlements rather in 2012 was about 5.4%. That is equivalent to 2.2 million Filipinos. That is a staggering, staggering number. 2.2 million people. The Philippine arena has a seating capacity of 55,000. If we flatten it out and multiply that number by 40, do we have that big of an open space in the metro? Surely not. And that was in 2012. Imagine how things are now. So if we think of things this way, then it becomes clear just why people find it so hard to find shelter here in the metro and why our informal settlements are designed the way they are. With so little space, and so little innovative solutions to maximize or optimize this space, people are just outside forced to build tightly packed houses horizontally and vertically wherever they could just to create an abode. Indeed, Chantel. It's really unimaginable. And it doesn't just stop there, you know. Habitat for Humanity alongside the Center for Research and Communication Foundation found that by 2022, the country's housing needs would amount to a staggering 15.08 million people. This includes about 5.93 million Filipinos who are part of the unserved market, 5.12 million who need socialized housing, 2.11 million who need economic housing, and 1.9 million who need low-cost housing. In 2015, the UN estimated that by the year 2050, the percentage of the country's total population residing in urban areas will reach 56.3%. We're already dealing with a lot, but if our housing crisis is not solved before we come to that point, how much bigger will our housing gap be? And to think that millions of these people are classified as informal buildings, meaning they build their homes without access to resources that can help them create homes that follow the minimum standards we have for housing. And with this, I just I want to point out that Article 13 on Social Justice and Human Rights in Section 9 of the 1987 Constitution states that the country shall, by law and for the common good, undertake, in cooperation with the public sector, a continuing program of urban land reform and housing which will make available at an affordable cost decent housing and basic services to underprivileged and homeless citizens in urban centers and resettlement areas. With everything we've been discussing today, just where are we on that? Especially when tens of millions of Filipinos are still forced to create housing on their own. Some might even wonder what happened to the houses built by the National Housing Authority or the NHA. 
We've seen the news about these bungalows that were built up and interestingly, those houses were unoccupied. In a 2017 budget call, the National Economic Development Authority cited that the Department of Budget and Management DBM, identified at least 15,000 unoccupied houses in 26 resettlement areas completed by the NHA. The reasons for inoccupancy include the slow process of land acquisition, licensing and agency or local government, clear government unit clearances, among others. Therefore, it is not necessarily the people's fault for not moving in. The government, the national government and the local government, their target is those low-income and poor families. There is Aryan again. So, and right now, I think um, with the new department, the SHU, they're actually pushing all our local government units no, to have their local shelter plan. And when they have their local shelter plans, this would basically um, like a blueprint for them on how to, um, you know, uh, come up with different infrastructures and social services in their area, catering to um, their constituents. And hopefully this blueprint would be the um, kind of guiding document for succeeding uh, local chief executives for that LGU. A habitat really works with uh, households at the low-income segment of society, right? That is Jason again. So not really much on middle income and not really at the high income segment of not the housing at all industry. At high not at all. <laughs> Except for asking them to be donors and supporters, right? Right now, there's a big effort by the government and by some funding agencies and multilateral agencies to make sure that residential areas in the middle income also adapt green technologies or green be compliant with green building codes so they're looking for uh, greener material uh, use of renewable energies and so on and so forth that's an extra incentive for co consumers right if they would like to be environmentally sustainable and they can afford to they will buy to Sadly speaking, where it's needed the most because there are more people in that segment of society, there's almost no effort to do such thing in the low-income segment of the housing industry, in the socialized housing. Because at that stage, sadly for now, it's the cheapest material. And usually the cheapest material is not necessarily the cleanest material. Right? So... But, but then again, we in Habitat, we are partnering with private sector and even with some government agencies who are introducing innovations in the low-end segment of the society. Uh, one, one partner we have right now, for instance, is Green Ants Technology in Kubo. You mentioned it as CK Kubo. We are supporting quite a few innovative uh, businesses and startups who really would, like you mentioned, Chantel, who has that social enterprise in mind, make, yes. uh, doing business while doing good, right? And making sure that their businesses are hitting the three bottom lines, profit, people, and planet. So it's good that there are Filipino startups and even companies right now uh, from small ones to big ones, we are in touch with them who would like to make their supply chain greener, their 
products greener. So we're working on that. That is what we're doing with Habitat. Habitat Philippines is working with quite a few uh, companies and testing them, meeting with them, so that in the houses that Habitat Philippines builds, like the cement bamboo frame, uh, uh, being promoted by Base by in Hilti Foundation, is way of making houses at the affordable segment of society not only decent, not only resistant, but also comfortable and environmentally sustainable. So that's what we are doing in Habitat and a few entities as well to make sure that positive changes doesn't only happen at the high end, middle end, but also at the low end segment where it's needed the most because there are more people living in that segment of society. Solving the housing issue is definitely not that plain and simple. Like the others, it's a systemic issue that requires effective moves from higher leadership to create a domino effect and get things rolling. The housing sector, for one, is already largely underbudgeted, receiving only 12 billion pesos out of the 3.35 trillion peso national budget in 2017. That needs to change. Again, it was estimated that we needed 30 billion pesos a year to solve the housing crisis. Yet, we're not even allotting half of that. We're allotting nearly 12 billion pesos every year. At the same time, BHSUD Secretary Eduardo Del Rosario said that in order to close the gap, 250,000 houses must be built every year. From 2016 to 2019, we were averaging around 203 to 205,000 houses built. We're getting there, but we're still a step behind. Nonetheless, I firmly believe that the establishment of the DHSUD is a piece of step towards the right direction. The development of other towns and cities outside the metro, given the current administration's build-build-build focus, is a viable option to congest Metro Manila. Building better houses in these towns and cities married with land and transportation development could stimulate economic activity in which people settling outside the metro area could stay and work there for good instead. Relocating is not easy, but it, may, it might not be for the best of, uh, for other families. Bureaucratic policies such as permits can also be simplified. Such policies only hamper the intended progress and delay the, the solution. Little do we realize that keeping such complexities in the system would mean, for example, a problem we solve today is a problem that occurred five years ago, which has already evolved now. It has been a waste of resources. So much about developing neighboring regions to decongest Manila, it is imperative to keep in mind that before we go full steam ahead, we have to reinforce a modern national land use policy in such a way that we develop our cities in harmony with nature. It does not make sense building more establishments in the expense of farmlands and the environment because that is totally the wrong approach. We could not compromise the people's food supply for more decent homes and commercial areas since it is not a zero-sum game. If we do that, we aggravate another issue which is detrimental to creating a sustainable society altogether. And of course, as we develop new establishments, we have to keep in mind that we implement modern and environmentally responsible practices and materials. 
during the past years, when we look at the government, the way they uh, provide solutions to our housing issues, the way to do it is relocating people from the city, especially from the danger zones, no, outside the city. But, but um, it has been proven that that strategy is not really sustainable. Because once you bring out these people outside where their source of income is, after a few, you know, few months, they would go back to the city. So now I think a lot of um, our local government units also is looking into, and even uh, uh, a lot of NGOs advocating for um, housing rights, is really pushing for in-city relocation uh, for these families. So that's one. And then the other one is also using um, green materials when we build our houses. So like one of our projects in Negros Occidental, uh, our Negros Occidental Impact 2025 project, where we partner with different LGUs in uh, Negros Occidental, we build houses that is made from bamboo, uh, cement, uh, sorry, bamboo, What's that, Jason? Bamboo frame cement uh, kind of technology. Cement bamboo frame. <laughs> cement bamboo frame technology. So it's also critical at this time when we talk about sustainable housing to also look into um, local materials that are available to build our houses. Because uh, when we do that, we help the environment. Hopefully, it would also lessen the cost of the house in the long in the long run. Other ideas that would um, come up would be you know, reading all this literature about sustainable housing is also considering um, doing a more, uh, how do you call this, like a compact city when you make that development, having a mixed use, mixed income, um, people living in one area. So what would be bright spots, uh, solutions that are, we would say, fast in out-of-the-box thinking. Singapore is one of the models that we look up to because Singapore really invested a lot, right, Arian, in terms of public housing. Uh, there are some LGUs in Metro Manila who have been doing that inside development. Uh, I, I remember, Arian, right, uh, the one in Quezon City, there are district villages like that, in Valenzuela as well, right? Wherein... LGUs through their own initiatives uh, have learned lessons from relocating people and throwing them outside of the Metro Manila areas because they know that's not a sustainable solution. So they have allocated land wherein it's in, if it's not in situation, it's in city relocation, somewhere near. They recognize that development should happen, I mean, housing should be provided where people have access to livelihoods, income, and education. And also, it's a recognition that a community in a city thrives not because of its physical infrastructure, but because of its human resources, its people. It's investing in people for education. You would have a safe home, uh, not only figuratively, not only literally, but figuratively, where you build up your life. If you are insecure in your nightly abode where you don't know where you can sleep, where you can eat safely, where your kids can work, 
where you can pray, where you can sleep, your foundation towards your well-being is really at risk. Housing is really not just a problem of the poor. It's our problem. The whole you know, nation, for example, the whole nation, it's the problem of everyone. So I think what's really critical is that there is no like there's no um, one size fits all kind of solution to this problem. So we have to provide different interventions, you know, for different people of different income brackets and different needs. So maybe for other uh, LGUs or for other families, uh, what is needed for them is like a new house in city relocation. But maybe for other, it's just um, financial support. That's where, you know, uh, Jess Hunter Williger would come in because we partner with microfinance organization also to include um, housing products in their uh, loan portfolio because not all families can afford to buy a full house or even, you know, have access to funding from in the formal market. So what they do is they, you know, go to um, microfinance organization and they, which could provide uh, a small amount of loan for them for um, to renovate or to you know retrofit their houses. So we have to come up with different interventions for the different needs and income levels of um, the Filipino families. On the next episode of. Sustain a rumble. Over multiple decades, our cities have followed specific urban blueprints that were adopted from the Western countries. These blueprints applied zoning in cities where different parts of the city were segmented into different components and therefore specified places where certain facilities of specific uses shall be established. The segmentation and segregation of components of cities was believed to be a foolproof solution until the problems such as road traffic and accessibility of services, urban sprawls, poor land use planning and application, and imbalance density piled up and altogether resulted into a worsening inhabitability of our cities. All things considered, how could we possibly see a city where everything is easily accessible for people within 10 to 15 minutes? How will a city excellently marry its residential and commercial areas to create a new urban fabric that is smart, equitable, and safe for all people, regardless of age, status, and physical challenges? Tune in to Sustain a Rumble as we discuss mixed-use development next. Do follow us on our favorite music streaming platforms and like and follow us on our social media pages through the links found in this episode's description box. If you're listening on Spotify, tick the Get Notified of New Episodes switch to receive push notifications every time we release new episodes. Till the next episode. Bye!